when we left homes there was a bad street there was a man he had a, a big machine for kill the people so when we decided to go we have to go in this street and i get up my family don't know 11 or 12 people in a small car here uh, shadia pregnant the man was so fast Bim! so we heard this man he tried to kill us but he didn't i still remember that i don't have a nice memory in syria yeah we don't know if we we will be alive or we will die i like seeing people getting shot with the guns and like seeing people killing like dying in front of you and like that's yeah that's like the worst memories i have not safe bomb and uh, police coming the government boom 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 everywhere boom 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 two cars open uh, open windows and uh, he have uh, four what name and he start for me and for many friends. They put us in animal truck. There was five trucks. I had Rimas, she was a baby. Five or six or almost one week, old years. And I had Rimas here and Nashida's here, Rim is here, Yusuf is here. We all together, <laughs> together. There are two trucks, there were, there were behind us. The government put pump on it and it was a big fire and all the people died. So we thank God we are, we were thank God every day, every time, every second, because we were here in safe place. When we came in Canada, when we left Jordan, we were afraid, scary. When, where we are going? Where are we gonna sleep today? Or like, who's gonna come pick us from the airport? Or like, where we are going after like, when we arrive there? When I saw uh, people, Canadian people in airport, my sponsor, I am very happy. In Arabic writing, they was like, welcome to Canada. We felt like so happy, like, my dad, he was like, I felt he was carrying like a mountain in his shoulders. And like, when we saw you guys, he like, you guys just take all of it, like from. So when we arrived to airports, we saw many people. We didn't know who, who are they. <laughs> yes, but they are so kind. They are so helpful. They are our Canadian family. People Church is my family and Harold, my father, and Chadia father, and Dickie, my mother, and Chadia mother. Yeah. I love Canada. I look in, uh, in Canada, now my country. Uh, same time, I am not happy for for my daughter. I never like crying at the same time.
And like she was like, please don't leave me alone or like I have no one in here. When we were in airport, before we arrived to Canada, I saw that was first time I saw Omar crying. He says, where we are going without my daughter Rain. I can't imagine, I can't believe, I can't be alive without my daughter. Why I, I left her? I went back to Jordan. I was very sad to leave my sister there. Yeah, I said her goodbye with my memories. It's broke my heart. It's like hard to see your dad waking up in the morning and like thinking about her. To feel like the most person who close to you, like sad as like your dad. Like, yeah, if you, it's like hard to see him sad all the time. I'm like, without Reem and Aboud here in Canada, because as you know, Aboud is Nasheeda's uh, fiance. So when he will come to here, absolutely, he will work so hard with Nasheeda to make their life and dream with her husband. They will make their life. When Raymond come to Canada, I um, I think I am and my family very, very happy. <laughs> yeah. We will pray for him and for my sister to come very soon. Yeah. I would be more happy if like I have women like here and like I'm pretty. Like we have like full family. They may help us to to help to be Reem and Abud here because we will feel a better feeling than without them. Hechos 2, versos 1 a 12. Cuando llegó el día de Pentecostes, estaban todos unánimes juntos, y de repente vino del cielo un estruyendo como de un viento recio que soplaba, el cual llenó toda la casa donde estaban sentados. Y se les aparecieron lenguas repartidas, como de fuego asentándose sobre cada uno de ellos. Y fueron todos llenos del Espíritu Santo, y comenzaron a hablar en otras lenguas, según el Espíritu les daba que hablasen. Moraban entonces en Jerusalén judíos, varones piadosos de todas las naciones bajo del cielo. Y hecho esto destruyendo, se juntó la multitud. Y estaban confusos porque cada uno les oía hablar en su propia lengua. Y estaban atónitos y maravillados, diciendo, Mirad, ¿no son galileos todos estos que hablan? ¿Cómo pues les oímos nosotros hablar cada uno en nuestra lengua en la que hemos nacido, partos, medos y lámitas, y los que habitamos en Mesopotamia, en Judea, en Capadocia, en el Ponto y en Asia, en Frigia, en Panfilia, en Egipto y en las regiones de África, más allá en Sirene, y romanos aquí residentes, tanto judíos como prosélitos. Pertenses y arabes, les oímos hablar en nuestras lenguas las maravillas de Dios. Y estaban todos 
atónitos y perplejos, diciéndose unos a otros, ¿qué quiere decir esto? Well, just before we dive into the, the word together, uh, let me just say a couple of things. Number one, uh, baptism and the welcoming of new members, we're looking forward to that. If you've given your life to Jesus and you want to declare that in baptism, reach out to the church office and we'll get you started in that. If you want to become a member of KGF and there are some new people reaching out in that way, please connect with us. And let's continue to be a giving and generous church. Uh, you can give online or in person at the office. And uh, we continue to be a blessing to the city and the world in our work together. So thank you for your generosity. We're heading toward a question today. And the question will be this. Why is it important to hear from God and not just listen to ourselves? Why is it important to hear from God and not just listen to ourselves? That's where we're headed. The ongoing story of the Bargut family, that video is so powerful this refugee family that our church sponsored and many of you know and love. It's a moving story. It's a reminder that people on this planet keep moving. Dispersion and migration, they keep happening. People are looking for a place to call home, a place where there is good news. These retro cool banners that you're going to see hang in our garage... Uh, they indicate a westward journey. If you look carefully, there's some from northern Ontario, some from the prairies, some from Vancouver. Uh, there's one even from Oregon. And these were my dad's collection back in the 1960s when he headed from southern Ontario to join the prairie harvest. And the banners track that trip. But they also reveal something about my dad. He loved western Canada. His imagination and his heart drew him west can I ask you a question? Where, where would you love to go that you've never been? Now, kids, hopefully you've got some paper around you this morning. I'd love for you to draw a banner. Take a look at those. Uh, let's get that picture back up there again if we can. And, and if, take a look at the shape of a banner. You know what they look like. And maybe you could draw a picture or write the words of a place you'd love to go to. Adults, where would you love to go to that you've never been? Well, my mom told me, that my dad wanted even to move west, but she balked at it. And that surprised me when I found out because, goodness, growing up, my dad was always seeming like the least adventurous of the two of them. But when I found these banners after he died, it hit me. My garage tells the story of my dad's dreams that I actually fulfilled. I'm now the one living in British Columbia. Strange. Now, can you recall the good news journey that we've been on? Now, see if you can summarize the journey so far based on these icons that are about to come up on the screen behind me. So you're going to see three pictures each time. And in your hub right now or where you are in your own, see if you can summarize the good news story that we've been on. Genesis 1 to 2, that's what these three are about. What do these pictures tell the story of? Well, there's creation, of course. God is the creator of all. And we are his image bearers. We carry the image of God. We're those happy ones with the halos in that one, okay? So you did pretty well. How about Genesis chapters 3 to 5, summarized with these three pictures? There's a serpent. There's a man and a woman with a wall in between. There's one of those warning labels. What's the story? Talk it out. Well, 
We were deceived. We fell into sin by the serpent's lies. We become disconnected and uh, from one another. Relationship with God, relationship with one another is fractured. There's an explosion of things on the planet is the story of Genesis 3 to 5 because of sin. How about Genesis 6 to 9? We talked about this last Sunday. Three more little pictures. We got a boat. We got a rainbow. We got hands kind of like a team in a circle. What do they summarize? What's the story? Perhaps a little easier than the others even, right? There was an ark. There's a promise that God has made for life. And there's this promise that God's good news blessing will happen in the world through those who walk with him and work together. Hmm, how'd you do? Today we come to Genesis chapter 11 and let's begin at the end of the chapter because it's kind of like watching the episode of a show where you, where you see the end and you wonder, you know, how did we get there? Right? So up to this point in Genesis, we're moving further and further away from God's good news. And then we come to Genesis chapter 11, verse 31. Here's what it says. Terah took his son Abram, his grandson Lot, uh, his grandson Lot, son of Haran, and his daughter-in-law Sarai, the wife of his son Abram, and together they set out from Ur of the Chaldeans to go to Canaan. But when they came to Haran, they settled there. Now, this is the first time since humanity was banished from the Garden of Eden that there is a movement in Genesis from east to west. Now note the significance of this. Terah's dad, kind of like mine, began a journey from east to west, but he didn't complete it. In Genesis, the journey of broken humanity is away from Eden to the east, which simply confirms everything BC believes about Toronto. Huh? Eh, right. Terah's family in Genesis, at the end of Genesis chapter 11, settles in Haran, and it's interesting, the Hebrew word haran means crossroads. Abram's dad began a journey west from a place called Ur. In Genesis chapter 11, verse 2, it says that humanity's movement east brought them to the land of Shinar, and they settled there. It's, and Shinar is kind of like saying the Okanagan. It was a large region, and it is in this region that they will build Babel. Now Ur was about 200 kilometers from Babel. It's kind of like Kelowna to Revelstoke. So Terah began a journey west to Canaan and Canaan will become the location of the promised land as the Old Testament unfolds. Now what's fascinating is that Canaan is the son of Ham, the grandson of Noah. Now Canaan gets a severely bad word spoken over him after the flood because of Ham, because of his dad's dishonor of Noah, who is Canaan's grandfather. You can read that in chapter 9, verses 24 to 25, and in chapter 10, verses 15 to 21, we, tell, we discover more about Canaan, the son of Ham, grandson of Noah. And so through the rest of the Old Testament... This is what we need to start to grasp and kind of visualize, actually, geographically. Through the rest of the Old Testament, there is a great struggle between the people who walk with God and trust his promises and the descendants of Canaan to the west 
And they are actually the Jebusites, the Amorites, the Hivites. They're the people who will settle Sodom and Gomorrah. That is the descendants of Canaan. So to the west, the people who hold to God's promises see Canaan. And to the east, they, just, they will see Babel or Babylon. The people who walk by faith will live in this tension between two worlds and many peoples. And so Terah, that guy who led his family at the end of chapter 11, leads his family back toward the promise and he puts his family at the crossroads, Karan. This is where we're going to catch up with Abram next week. But what has happened to get us to this crossroads? How is it that after the flood, there are now peoples all over the place? And why is this journey being taken to the West? To fully understand that, we will happen to, to fully understand what will happen to Abram at the crossroads. We need to return to the building of Babel. In Genesis chapter 10, the flood story ends with a list of the descendants of Noah. If you have your scriptures, you can see it. The whole of chapter 10 is a list of names. God had made a promise of life to his creation. And these nations, they're the carriers of this promise. And they now flow throughout the earth. In Genesis 10, 10 verse 25, it says that Eber, the great-grandson of Shem. Now, Shem was one of the sons of Noah, right? Shem, Ham, and Japheth. And Shem, by the way, just means name. That uh, Shem had two sons, Peleg and Joktan. Now, Peleg's name means division. Strange how they named people back then, isn't it? Peleg simply means division because in his days, the great division happened. The story of Babel in Genesis 11, verses 1 to 10, happens during Peleg and Joktan's life. And so two things are significant. And that's where chapter 10 and chapter 11 are connected here. Uh, Peleg is the descendant of Shem. And this is the family line who will become the carriers of the promise to the crossroads. You notice that Abram is the great, great, great grandson of Peleg. Can you name your great, great, great grandfather? I tried to figure it out. I'd have to go back into a genealogy book because I could only get to my great, great grandfather, actually. And so if you think about it, Peleg's name, Division, carries the human story of Division. But in he who is named Division... There's this seed of hope. So that's the first thing, Peleg, the story of Peleg. The second is that the build, to, to pay attention to here too, between chapters 10 and 11, is that the builders of Babel are the descendants of Ham. Namely, it seems, of a bloke named Nimrod. Now, I, when I was a kid in school, if you were called a Nimrod, it wasn't a good thing. You Nimrod, you ever heard that one? Maybe that was an Eastern Canada thing. I don't know. But... In chapter 10, verses 10 and 11, we're introduced to Nimrod, who is not only key in the kingdom building of Babel, but he is eventually the guy who builds Nineveh as well. That's where Jonah will need to go and where the Assyrian Empire rises from and the same area that is still in the news as Syria. And so the entire spiritual landscape of Scripture is set in this moment. And what happens at Babel is central. It is a crossroads moment 
for a fallen and away from Eden heading humanity. Now, why does all this matter? You know, if you're not a history buff or you don't like genealogy, you're probably tuning out right now and, you know, drooling in your drink. Why does this matter? Because God's promise keeping to creation is rooted in real life in the real world. And this story of struggle, as we heard even in the ongoing story of the Bargoots, is still real. The world is a mess. Almost always, it seems, at a crossroads. But God has made a promise for life. And God is always looking for those who will walk with him and respond to his call. Have you heard that call at your crossroads? Or are you a bad news babble builder? All right, kids, try to say that five times real quick. Bad news babble builder, bad news babble builder, bad news babble builder. That's a mouthful. So listen, after the flood, the world is living under a great promise that God has made for life. God has revealed himself as the righteous judge and a merciful savior. God also wants life to flourish and for humanity to be central in that flourishing. And Noah's family got busy and many nations and peoples emerge. But we're still moving east of Eden. We're still broken. But there will come a moment when one family stands at a crucial crossroads. So do you picture it? On the one hand, we have this picture of a wide, wild world. And on the other hand, we have one family at the crossroads. And sandwiched in between those two things at the beginning of Genesis chapter 11 is the story of a tower and a city being built in the land of Shinar. Let's read it together. Genesis chapter 11, verses 1 to 9. Now the whole world had one language and a common speech. As people moved eastward, they found a plain in Shinar and settled there. And they said to each other, Come, let's make bricks and bake them thoroughly. They used brick instead of stone and tar for mortar. And then they said, come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves. Otherwise, we will be scattered over the face of the whole earth. But the Lord came down to see the city and the people and the tower the people were building. And the Lord said, if as one people speaking the same language, they have begun to do this, then nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and confuse their language so they will not understand each other. So the Lord scattered them from there over all the earth and they stopped building the city. That is why it was called Babel because there the Lord confused the language of the whole world and from there the Lord scattered them over the face of the whole earth. Now, kids, if you're done building your or drawing your banner of where you'd love to go, um, what if you'd start building a tower now? If you got some blocks around you, build a tower as high as you can between now and the end of the message. Think you could do that? Now, let's look at the text. What is humanity trying to do? Build another ark, a structure to save themselves. But this time, it's our idea, not God's. And what is humanity talking about? Well, it seems that we're all on the same page. It's, there's one common speech, and that sounds like good news. But what if the page we've written is flawed? 
the youth group that I came to know Jesus in did yearly car rallies. We'd plan out a route with clues and then we'd send carloads of teenagers out to see who could complete the route the fastest while gathering all the clues. And you can imagine how often this went badly. And yet for some reason, our parents kept throwing us the keys. Not quite sure, but anyway. One year, I was on the planning team and we developed a very complicated route. It was brilliant, but it had one fatal flaw. The instructions that we produced told people to turn left at a crucial crossroads instead of right. And everyone had the same page with the exact same words and everyone ended up lost. We were not part of the planning team the next year, just saying. In humanity's seemingly unified speech here in Genesis chapter 11, there are two key let us statements that describe our hearts. All right, the first is in verse three. Let us make bricks. Let us use the earth against God. Now, brick making isn't bad. If you're a bricklayer or a mason, God bless you. But the imagery in Genesis is stark. God planted a garden. We make bricks to build walls and to throw. Then in verse four, there's another let us statement. Actually, there's two. The first is let us build ourselves a city and a tower. You see, in Eden, we tended a garden and we walked with God. But now we work to protect ourselves from the world. We want to prove ourselves. This is a power move. We build monuments in the sky to show we're really something, to draw attention to ourselves. Why do cities still build towers? To show their humility? Yeah, not so much. And then in the second part of verse four, there's another one. Let us make a name for ourselves. This is the underlying problem. We want to make a name, a shem, that's the Hebrew word, a shem for ourselves. But God has given us a name. We're his beloved. We're his image. We are to be his representatives in the world. East of Eden, we're determined to monument our own broken identity apart from God and humanity is still busy doing this. And what one generation builds, another tears down. The creator had said, let us make man humanity in our image. And we say, let us make a name for ourselves. East of Eden, we're seeking to grasp the good our way, hearing only each other, not hearing our creator, which is tragic. We had the good, but we despised it. We think we'll build our way back to goodness and a name for ourselves. But just think of how tragically this still goes. In our history, empires become not conduits of shalom, but proud defenders of our own turf and self-made identity. Shalom must come another way. Which leads us to a competing let us from the building of Babel. It's God's in verse 7. Come, let us go down. Humanity's let us is about enshrining ourselves. God's let us is about rescuing us so good news, his good news promise can be salvaged for all creation. God will come down. This is good news. 
For this is a foreshadowing of what will come to fulfillment. God will visit us. He will walk among us in Jesus Christ. He will suffer and rise again. He will come and visit us again. God visits us. He sees what we do not see, namely that our oneness has a dark side. Our hearing only our own noise will keep us from hearing our creator's voice. If humanity succeeds at Babel, we may become one, but we'll be trapped east of Eden. We'll propose the impossible and we'll pull it off. That's what verse six says, but we'll be increasingly unwilling to hear God's proposals. If we now gather in one place, in one human-centered act of supposed unity, we will abandon the mandate to be fruitful and multiply, to steward creation. We'll make bricks. We won't plant gardens. This is so practical right now. Don't you see it? Because this is the human story. We have never been more connected and globalized ever in history as we are in this moment and yet we are living in a world convulsing as we build our own kingdoms, only see ourselves, only hear ourselves. We celebrate diversity, and yet we demand that others think just like us or they are evil. This is decimating our politics, our life together. And that was not our mandate. Our mandate was not to build walls around our brokenness. We are to hear from heaven so we do justly love mercy and walk humbly with our God, says the prophet Micah. At the crossroads, we will be confronted with the decision of hearing only ourselves or hearing the voice of the Lord of all. In the context of Genesis, this despising of being dispersed, that's what humanity is worried about in verse 4. This despising of being dispersed is an act of rebellion. God wanted us to join his creating and blessing work everywhere and for everything. Being scattered isn't to be feared. Representing God in the wideness of his world is our adventurous responsibility and calling. The tower is the ultimate thumbing, I guess this, thumbing of our noses at that and we'll make bricks and build a wall around ourselves to prove it. And so the confusion of languages and the dispersion of humanity from their perceived unity is counterintuitive good news. The dispersion is a centrifugal force returning us to where we're supposed to be in the wilds, where we live in the mandate to walk with God and live our calling and our dignity. Diversity and dispersion is not the end of God's promises, but the beautiful anticipation of the fulfillment in God's blessings, which we are to bring everywhere we go. There's a few beautiful New Testament, New Testament vignettes that undo Babel. The first is in Luke chapter 4. Jesus' mission statement that the Spirit of the Lord was upon him to proclaim good news to the poor, freedom for the prisoners. The year of the Lord's favor is to be celebrated by the people in his own hometown. This is where he unpacks and reads from the prophet Isaiah. He's the local hero. But then, Jesus undoes in Luke chapter 4 their expectation that this is a blessing only for the city and the tower of Jerusalem and the Jews. 
He says that his arrival as the fulfillment of this prophetic promise will be heard and accepted by those outside of Israel. This is where it gets fascinating because Jesus uses two examples. Just like the widow of Sidon received the prophet Elijah and just like a Syrian named Naaman received healing, so this good news is for all. Now, here's what's amazing. If you go back to Genesis chapter 8 and and Genesis chapter, sorry, if you go to Genesis chapter 10 verse 8 and verse 19, you discover that Sidon and the Syrians are in the line of the Babel builder Nimrod and the children of Ham. Jesus undoes Babel with the promise rooted in himself. And this causes his hometown family and friends to want to kill him. And God has come down and is now and is always extending his promises to the Babel builders. Who have you believed is excluded from the good news? Jesus completely undoes it. And then in Acts chapter 2, verses 1 to 12, which Tirza read for us so well, on the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit is poured out on the repentant believers in Jesus who knew he was the one proclaiming the good news for all people from all over the world on the day of Pentecost, hear the good news of the mighty works of God. It's amazing. Not They don't hear our tower building. They hear about God's mighty acts of mercy and salvation. They hear it in their own language. Now, this is what's crucial on the day of Pentecost. There isn't one language. There is one understanding. The diversity of peoples is not obliterated, but unified in meaning, hope, and good news. And then there's Revelation chapter 7, verses 9 to 10, the vision of the full family of God, A great crowd that no one could count from every tribe and nation and language and people. And they are clean of the bad news of sin and they cry with a loud voice, not again in one language, but in a symphony of tongues. Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. The diversity of the peoples is not obliterated, but unified in meaning, hope, and good news. We surround the throne with our differences and see one another through the lens of our good God and Savior who is at the center, not the tower, not our building, not our city, the city of God. Let me ask you, how many languages are in your group right now who you're among? I bet there's many of you that can speak different languages. Can you say praise God in another language? Uh, I've taken a little bit of Russian. and Slava Bohu, that's... Praise God, at least I hope if you know Russian, you're going to text me and correct me. How many of you could say praise God in another language? How about you do it now all at once? Say it together. And if you can only do it in English, that'll do too. Praise God. And maybe as someone is saying that, praise God, a kid can smash that big tower that you guys have built. Just smash it and have fun with it. Praise God. You see, hope is not in the towers we build as we settle for life in the East. Hope lies in relationship to the God of good news and his promise of shalom. The key is not that we all speak one language, but that we hear from God. This, this is what went deaf in Genesis 11. We hear each other, but we've completely blocked our ears 
to the creator. We've embraced a fully earthbound humanistic image of life and existence, a world where we are the center and we tower upward seeking to make a name for ourselves. The gathering and scattering of Babel leads to a crucial question at the crossroads. Will there be any who walk with God and hear his voice? Will any of the scattered come and celebrate around the throne? Will you? Will we? The time has come, Jesus said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. Let's pray. God, our creator, our heavenly father, full of grace and mercy, just and righteous, holy and true, we worship you. We repent of our pride, our empire building, our demand that the world listen to us. And we say we want to hear from you. We humble ourselves. We humble ourselves. We need you. This world needs you. The good news depends on you. You are the good news. And you fulfilled that in Jesus Christ, our Lord. Lead us, O oh God, for your purposes. Awaken us to be your people for the sake of the place you have us and that we might hear your voice to live life well in our homes, in our workplaces, in our schools, with our siblings, and with our enemies. And we pray this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. So, Church, let's do some work, shall we? As you prepare to go, as the people of good news, turn to one another. Here's the question for today. Why is it important to hear from God and not just listen to ourselves? Why is it important to hear from God and not just listen to ourselves? May the Lord bless you and keep you, make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May he give you peace. God bless you this week. Good morning, KGF family. My name is Bernie Zemer. I'm one of the board members here. It's been my pleasure to serve this church as part of the spiritual vision and direction team. We have been praying for you all and are thrilled to hear how many of you are involved in a hub or a life group. By our count, there's about 300 to 350 of you doing this in this challenging season. If you aren't in a hub yet or want to be, 
There's a hub with space open on Sunday at 10 a.m., meeting here at the KGF Hub. Fire us an email if you want to be part of that, and we'll make sure Dave and Eleanor Hogg know you're coming. And hubs aren't the only way for you to invest in the life of this church in this season. There's a number of spots opening up on the board as people's commitment times are expiring. There are spots on the spiritual division and direction team, as well as the position of facility trustee, human resources, and board secretary. If you know of someone who you think would be important to consider, or perhaps the spirit is nudging you to step in this direction, you can pick up the nomination forms here at the church or find them on our website to download. The board has been active in helping to shape and safeguard the mission and life of the church for 60 years now. And I know that because this October 30th is in fact our 60th anniversary. That's coming up quick. So while we can't come together and have a big party, we'd love you to bake or buy a cake and have a slice to celebrate. Our church has been through good times and hard ones. A number of you have been here long enough to know that, but more than a few of you might not realize just how long we've been here and called one another family. So grab some cake for November 1st and thank God for his goodness and provision. Finally, we have been invested in the work of Samaritan's Purse and their shoebox campaign for the last several years. And we have this year's shoeboxes here for you to pick up and fill. If you or your hub want to help impact the life of a child this Christmas season, put presents in their hand and have the gospel shared with them, come and grab a few. God has been guiding us toward hubs and we believe he will continue 